KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Let's talk about the summer of Shakespeare on film. This is something new for the Globe. So what inspired you to run Shakespeare on film this summer? Well, all of the institutions in Balboa Park have been spending a lot of time thinking about ways to mark the centennial of the California Pacific Exposition. So we, we programmed this season of celebratory Shakespeare on our stages. And I thought, I wonder if there's some other thing that we can do for the community. And well, why don't we just offer some free movie screenings of great Shakespeare films. As you know, Beth, there are 30 or 40 quite wonderful film adaptations of Shakespeare, and there are 15 or so true masterpieces of cinema. It's something I love to do, is go, go see Shakespeare movies, watch how people are adapting the plays to this completely other medium. And so I just went through the list of the Shakespeare movies that I really love and chose four of them. And uh, I think it's gonna be a wonderful way for us to say, hey, San Diego, Shakespeare is really central to the life of this park. And there are a lot of different ways that we can engage with Shakespeare and celebrate him, and this is one. The film that's opening the series is going to be Laurence Olivier's Henry V. What about that appealed to you? Well, that performance, Olivier's performance as Henry V, is one of the iconic Shakespeare performances of the 20th century, and maybe ever. Olivier was the giant of the first half of the 20th century, made a bunch of Shakespeare movies, and this one really is his best. Richard III, a close second. He did a Lear late in his life that's also quite wonderful. His Hamlet, of course, tremendously famous, but none of them really equaled the complete heroic stature that he was so celebrated for on stage as Henry V does. It's also an interesting film in that it was largely and maybe even entirely funded by the British government. They were, it was made in the middle of World War II. It was consciously conceived to rally the English people uh, around the cause of defeating the Germans in the Second World War. And so it emphasizes really completely at the expense of some of the nuances, in fact, of Shakespeare's play, the patriotic celebration of England as a, as a warrior culture and of Henry V as this tremendously charismatic leader. Once more, unto the breach. Dear friends, once more, or close them all up with our English dead. In peace, there's nothing so becomes a man as modest stillness and humility. But when the blast of war blows in our ears, then imitate the action of the tiger. Stiffen the sinews, summon up the blood. Disguise fair nature with hard-favored rage. Olivier's performance is just astonishing. You know, he's got this voice that's like a trumpet in its high registers, you know? He's got this ability to rattle through the text with extreme speed, but also utter clarity. We few. We happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so base. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap, while any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's day.
And the other thing is, he's so dashing, I mean, handsome and romantic, and he somehow manages to just beguile you and charm you and sweep you away. It's an amazing, amazing performance. And also, of all his Shakespeare adaptations, this one seems the most cinematic in the sense of being able to open up the play well on film. I think that's true. I think the Hamlet gives it a run for its money. This thing, he went into it specifically to find as much energy and vividness and color as he can. And what's interesting about the, the movie is that it starts out highly theatrically, you know, these painted drops and painted sets and very, very artificial seeming, and gets more and more kind of realistic as the thing goes on, sweeping you into the fantasy of this English victory in a deeper and deeper way as every minute of the movie goes by. It's a really wonderful achievement cinematically and as a piece of Shakespeare performance, you know, pretty much unmatched ever since. You are also going to be showing Orson Welles' Chimes at Midnight, which is a brilliant film. And what he's done on this is really amazing in that he's compacted multiple Shakespeare plays to just focus on the character of Falstaff, which he plays. This is a great, great, great film, a true masterpiece. Ask most Shakespeareans what's the great Shakespeare film of all time, they'll tell you Chimes at Midnight. Ask Film historians, what's the great Shakespeare film? They'll tell you, Chimes at Midnight. Ask filmmakers, what's the greatest battle scene ever filmed? And they'll tell you the Battle of Shrewsbury in Chimes at Midnight. And ask Orson Welles what he thinks his greatest movie was. And he said, Chimes at Midnight. It is really genuinely a masterpiece. Now, the Mercury Theater, which was Welles' theater company in New York, did a condensation of the Falstaff plays in the 1930s. And the thing that Wells was amazing at, and, and, and this is one of his many unheralded talents, talents, he was a great cutter of Shakespeare. And you, you can read these scripts that he did, and as somebody who, as part of my professional life, cuts Shakespeare for modern performance, I look at what he's doing and it's just mind-bogglingly smart how he's able to take pieces of the play and essentialize them and get rid of the fat and just make the things go like bullets. So he took Henry IV, part one, Henry IV, part two, and Henry V, which are the three plays that deal with John Falstaff, and condensed them into one evening. And so you get the sweep of all three of these plays in about 90 minutes, and you don't feel like you're missing anything. That's how good and perceptive his, his sense of dramaturgy and dramatic structure is. How now? Who picked me pocket? Posters! Posters! Sir John! I fell asleep here and had my pocket picked. <laughs> you think I keep thieves in my house? The other thing is that it's got one of his finest performances. He plays Falstaff. He's already at the point in his life where he's corpulent and enormously obese. And there are these wonderful shots that he does of Falstaff in armor. And he looks like this big tea kettle walking across the, this field, this sort of amazing, funny and grotesque in exactly that way that Falstaff is, you know? Then you've got John Gielgud playing King Henry and Keith Baxter playing Prince Hal, these amazing English classical actors. And of course, that incredibly famous battle scene that Spielberg openly said he copied for Saving Private Ryan and that Branagh openly said he copied for his Henry V and that Mel Gibson openly said he copied for Braveheart, just this absolutely harrowing, amazing battle scene that really makes you understand what it must have been like in medieval warfare. Men covered in mud 
men stabbing each other in close quarters, wearing, wearing these suits of armor that were impossible to move around in. You know, it's just incredibly fantastic. I'm Beth Accomando, and I'm speaking with Barry Edelstein, Artistic Director of the Old Globe Theater. Now, in adapting Shakespeare to film, a lot of filmmakers will get criticized for cutting the plays or cutting the text because it's seen by some as being very sacred. What do you think Wells kind of, what do you think his gift was in terms of knowing what to cut and what not to cut and how to make it cinematic? Peter Brook, the great 20th century English Shakespeare director, has said famously that if Shakespeare were alive today, he'd be writing screenplays. And Brooke also said that the natural medium of the Shakespeare soliloquy is the film close-up. Because in a close-up, you can get into the eyes in a way that reveals thought. And cinema does that. It's able to tell extraordinary amounts of story and reveal incredible amounts of information with just a glance, with an edit from one camera angle to another. So you don't need all that language. You know, where Shakespeare has to have a character come out and say, I'm terrified right now, in the movies, all you have to do is put the camera up against somebody's face and have them look scared. They don't need to say the language, I'm terrified now. It's a medium of images. It's a, it's a medium of pictures. And so the language goes away. I, for one, don't feel that that does any particular damage to Shakespeare. You still get, in the case of all of the films that we're screening this summer, an enormous amount of the language. And what falls away are the things that the medium of cinema can actually do better than what we're able to do on stage, take you immediately from indoors to out, show you a big battlefield instead of conjuring it in the imagination. Uh, and nobody does that better than Wells. There's a famous essay about Chimes at Midnight by Pauline Kael, and she talks at length about Wells' ability as a, as a cutter. She also makes a really interesting point, which is that the film production company was so broke that often they didn't have sound equipment. And so he would just pivot and say, all right, well, today we don't have any sound equipment, so I'm going to have to figure out how to shoot this scene with no text, and then later we'll go to London or wherever he was, Madrid, uh, these weird cities all over Europe, and then we'll just fly somebody in, and they'll record a little voiceover. Uh, so you see in, in one of the interesting things, particularly Gilgood's performance, is he shot in long shots a lot of the time. And the reason is that they just didn't have sound equipment on the days that they were shooting him. So they shot him in these incredibly long shots and then recorded him later and run the text as a kind of voiceover over these extraordinary pictures. Amazing, audacious, crazy, crazy film. You're also showing something that's much more contemporary, which is Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah. And why did you choose this one? Well, that's also a film I really adore. Uh, I, I wanted to let the audience understand the range of approaches that people take to Shakespeare. You know, I hope if the series proves popular, we'll do more, which will allow me to get into foreign language Shakespeare, because actually, you know, of the top 10 Shakespeare films ever made, maybe eight of them are in languages other than English, you know, Kurosawa and Kozintsev great European auteurs who made fantastic Shakespeare movies in their own languages. So I, I wanted to say to the audience, you know, here's a really uh, period authentic piece, which is the Henry V, and here's this masterful interpretation of the Henry IV plays, also done in period, but 
here's a real visionary taking the play and completely turning it on its head. And I, I love this Joss Whedon, Much Ado. It's so funny and it's so contemporary, but the language is Shakespeare's. Officers, what offense have these men done? Mary, sir, they have committed a false report. Moreover, they have spoken untruth. Secondarily, they are slanders. Sixth and lastly, they have belied a lady. Thirdly, they have verified unjust things. And to conclude, they are lying knaves. And you have Nathan Fillion. Yeah, well, it can't be that. Yeah, that's <laughs> he was true. great. And you're closing out with an adaptation, not only an adaptation of Shakespeare to film, but an adaptation of Shakespeare to musical, which is West Side Story. And you're showing it outdoors, which seems very appropriate. I think that'll be a lot Tell of fun. Tell me about West Side Story. Yeah, well, you know, I'm hanging in by my fingernails there. I suppose to call it a Shakespeare film, but hey, why not? It's Romeo and Juliet in its way, very clearly, consciously an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet and just an unbelievably entertaining movie. So I thought, why not? That'll be the end of the series. That'll be the capper. I thought that would just be fun. And so why not? Well, and I think it shows how adaptable Shakespeare is. It still played very contemporary. At that time, you know, people were very concerned about juvenile delinquency and street gangs. And it, even though it's not Shakespeare's language, the themes and the, the storylines seem to adapt perfectly well. Uh, you know, th that is and will always be the uncanny thing about Shakespeare. He always seems to have anticipated everything that happens in human society way before it actually happens, you know? I mean, here we are doing Twelfth Night, which is a play about gender fluidity. And that's the conversation that the country is having at the moment because of Caitlyn Jenner. You know, one never plans. How can you plan this thing? And yet, you know, you listen to these conversations that the country's having about what makes a man a man and what makes a woman a woman and how do those two things relate and, and are they ever interchangeable? And there's Shakespeare talking about exactly that in his own particular strange language about a, about a glove being turned inside out, some Elizabethan image, that turns out to be an uncannily apt and exact image for precisely what the United States is talking about at the moment. And that's why I love Shakespeare. That's why I revere Shakespeare. And that's why Shakespeare is a kind of philosophical and moral and even spiritual touchstone for me because there's nothing that possibly could come up that doesn't have some correlate somewhere in these 900 pages, you know, and, and I, and I um, adore that and revere that about him. I'm Beth Accomando and I've been speaking with Barry Edelstein of the Old Globe Theater. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thanks, Beth. <laughs>
KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.